Well, do you like stories? I love stories. I think all people like stories. This is one of my favorite ones. It's called Never Use a Knife and Fork. It's great for sort of kids who are learning how to eat and that stage of life. So any grandparents here, or you just, you just like a funny story, it's worth a look. And it's got some great advice in it, like, you know, hide spaghetti in your hair for the kids or crisps in your underwear. And it makes me laugh uh, every time I read it. I'm talking uh, about stories because we're continuing our series tonight on uh, uh, stories of the welcoming family. And we're looking at the parables of Jesus. And uh, I want to just reflect on stories. And uh, actually, uh, sorry, my notes are over there. I thought they looked wrong. And, um, and to just um, basically, uh, yeah, see what we can get from these parables uh, of Jesus. Now, um, so that's the plan. Are you up for it? Good. So I was thinking about this. I'm quite straightforward in many ways. So I was thinking, okay, stories, what are stories made of? They're made of words. And we must remember as we just think about stories at the beginning that Jesus is the first word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And God was. <laughs> and the word was God. Yeah. So I don't know my Bible very well. That's, that's embarrassing. Okay, so it's going, so it's going well so far. Now, uh, also, God is the greatest author, okay? He, he, he's created creation, humanity, salvation. And uh, he sends his son, Jesus, who uh, actually comes to the earth, and he tells stories. Jesus tells stories. third of Jesus' teaching is stories. And uh, his stories, uh, they're called parables. You may have read some of them, but they're, they're often really short uh, often everyday language uh, and everyday objects, uh, bread, seed, that sort of stuff. Uh, but they're powerful stories. And I like what Lucy said last week. She said, uh, Jesus' parables uh, comfort the disturbed and disturb uh, the comfortable. And there's this sense with these parables that that's what Jesus is doing. And uh, they are straightforward. They're simple. You can just read them like a kid's story. But actually, they're not um, simple. They're, they're, they're actually quite complex. They're quite profound. They're multi-layered. Now, when I was a lawyer, I did like this quote from a, a senior uh, judge on the American Supreme Court, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., to be precise. He said this, there's a simplicity on the near side of complexity that I wouldn't give a fig for, but there's a simplicity on the far side of complexity that I'd give my life for. And Jesus tells these simple stories, and they are simple, straightforward, they're sure, but they're very, very deep, and they have multiple uh, layers. So what we're going to do is we're going to just jump into Luke 15, and we're going to look at some of these stories. And basically, the context of these stories, it's always good just to know what's going on when people do things in life generally, but when you read the Bible. Uh, in context of these stories is one of, of opposition to Jesus, of criticism, and uh, uh, um, just judgment, negative judgment. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, you'll see it might come up. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So there's this criticism that's going on. It's a bit of an edgy environment. I don't know what you're like in a, in a critical context or if people at work criticize you or your friends, you have your, your meeting with your flatmates and someone hasn't been doing enough washing up, whatever it is, we can get a bit defensive. What Jesus does in this occasion is he tells three stories. 
And uh, he tells the story uh, of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin. And he tells this third story as well about a lost son. And um, I want to just quickly read this first story uh, to you. So uh, again, here we go. Uh, The parable of the lost sheep. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls all his friends and neighbor together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So it's this story, isn't it, of looking and something that's lost. As soon as I read that again as I was preparing this, I I went back to last summer. Bex and I got this cheap deal to Portugal, and um, basically... um, I, I'm a bit, I get a bit worried about valuable things. So does anyone, does anyone hide their passports when they go away? Like you chuck them under the bed or anyone? There's a few of us sensible people. And um, so basically I, I hide the passports, all five of them. Uh, the problem is, just before we come back, uh, you, know, you, you, you know, just we've got one day left. The night before, I'm just sort of looking. I cannot find the passports, and it's really, really uh, annoying. I just can't find them, so I start looking, 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 a bit like this guy for uh, his sheep. I'll come back to that story. So what on earth is the point of this story? What on earth is the point of this story? Now, the point of this story is it's sort of, uh, they have multiple layers, but there's this um, guy, he's a shepherd. Now, if you were sitting there that day with the Pharisees and the other people listening, you'd immediately make, be making associations. Shepherd, 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 shepherd. King David was a shepherd to the Old Testament. King David, amazing shepherd, de- de- uh, defeated Goliath. You'd also be thinking, actually, God, God uh, is a shepherd, and um, a friend of mine, she lost her mum this week, a uh, very sad uh, occasion. She said, Mike, have you got anything from the Bible that you could just give to me to comfort me? And I said, well, there's this psalm called Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. So within the Old Testament, you see, God is, is pictured as a shepherd. And if you look at the Old Testament, it's full of shepherd imagery. So uh, here's the other thing. There's this bit in Ezekiel 34 about um, the um, uh, leaders of Israel basically failing in their duties to care for the flock, God's flock. And uh, so there's this, uh, you can understand why Jesus is talking about this. He's there with the Pharisees who are criticizing him. They're the present leaders, uh, religious, spiritual leaders of the country. Uh, And then there's Isaiah 40. Uh, Isaiah prophesies, actually, the leaders have failed, but there's going to become a Messiah king, a shepherd, who's going to actually gather up the lost sheep. He's going to gather them up, and he's going to bring them home. And then uh, there are other allusions, uh, Micah 5.4. There's also this sense of um, uh, actually the Messiah coming, and he's going to be tender to lost sheep. This is the sort of thing that the Messiah is going to do. So already, are you with me? Jesus is sort of, uh, there's this shepherd. He has uh, 100 sheep. Already the, the allusions are happening, and the meaning uh, is coming. Now, um, okay, so he loses a sheep. He's got 99, 99 over here. He loses one. Now, there's not a sense in which he basically just leaves the 99. 
because uh, actually what people often had boys working, young shepherd boys or another shepherd. But he does go after the lost sheep and he looks 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 until he finds the lost sheep. And uh, when, he, when he finds the lost sheep, he, he, he grabs the sheep. Have you ever tried to grab a sheep? My experience of that, I do it most days. Uh, my, my, my experience of trying to grab a sheep is it's actually quite hard, but he, he lifts the sheep onto his shoulders rather than sort of drag it home or put a lead on it. And, and he puts it on his shoulders around his neck and he sort of comes home like that. Have you ever carried a sheep like that? Me neither. And, um, but basically, uh, brings it home. There's this big rejoicing. There's this big party when the sh- when, uh, with the village when he gets home. Now, there's a lot of depth to this story. There's a lot of depth. We talked about the shepherds. Uh, but actually, what Jesus is talking about is God's priorities. He's saying, the Pharisees are saying to him, actually, you know what? You're, you're saying to me, I'm hanging around with the wrong people. You're saying to me, I'm, I'm hanging around and eating and spending life with the wrong people. Have you not forgotten who God is and what his heart is? Who, who the prophets have prophesied about? Have you, have you forgotten that, Pharisees? Have you not forgotten your story of uh, uh, God the shepherd, the Messiah shepherd coming? And actually, you know what? My priority, you can criticize me, you can um, misunderstand me, uh, my priority is to bring back the lost. That's what the Old Testament says God will do. That's what the Old Testament says God's pri- priority is. And, and that's what my priority is, because I am the promised Messiah. I'm, I'm here. I'm going for the sheep, the lost sheep. What is more, you know, when someone responds to me, there's huge rejoicing in heaven. It, it is Crazy, crazy rejoicing. Just one. Huge rejoicing in heaven. Because ah, you seem to ignore the sheep, but I know the sheep. I know my people, and I know who they are and what they need. I know the circumstances of their life, and I've come for them, and that's my priority. Now, Jesus, of course, we know, he calls us to have that priority. He he sends out the 12. They represent the 12 tribes of Israel. What he's doing is he's restoring the story uh, of the failure of Israel. He was restoring the story. And uh, he says to them, look, what I want you to do is go after lost sheep. Have my priorities. So he sends out the 12, off you go, take nothing for the journey, no bag and all that. He then sends out the 72, off they go, yes, yes, yes. And uh, then uh, he actually, the last thing he says is this, go into the world and make disciples. Bring people to faith, speak about me. Don't just leave them once they come to faith, but help them grow in their faith. And um, I'm going to be with you by my spirit to the very end of the age. So our priority, our priority, uh, if we're going to be like Jesus, is to look for lost people. That's the point of this. It's God's priority, it's the Messiah's priority, it's the shepherd's priority, and it's our priority as the people of God. And guess what? The people of God responded. The disciples, the Spirit pours out on them, and they see 3,000 people come to faith the first Sunday. It was a bit bizarre, it was a bit unusual. 
But actually, that's what disciples, healthy, mature, fruitful disciples of Jesus have done ever since. And we're part of this global family. What I love about this story is it's a true story. Because actually, the church is still growing. Globally, the church is still growing. And God is still finding his lost sheep through his people, the church. It's an extraordinary thing. So, um, you know, we are to have these priorities. And also, you know, uh, there's a warning in this story that actually as we do this, we might get criticized or misunderstood or particularly from spiritual people, the fact that the Pharisees misunderstood Jesus. They, they, they have this odd reaction to him and they don't like what he's doing. There's judgment in their text. They don't like what he's doing. God shouldn't do that. God should be doing this. But actually, this is uh, their priority. And uh, it's funny this, but um, if we do this, often we, we can end up getting judged by people or even get friendly fire from the church if we do this. I, I'll tell you a couple of stories. So uh, I ran into this uh, guy called Peter Walker. He was a professor at uh, the theological college I went to called Wycliffe in Oxford. And he's a very, he's a very um, respected New Testament scholar. And I ran into him a, a few years, about four years ago. He said, oh, Mike, it's so nice to see you. He said, you were such a troublemaker at Wycliffe. I said, what? Excuse me. I mean, maybe at school, possibly at university. I'll give you that. But I was on best behavior at Wycliffe. What do you mean? He said, uh, he said you know, you were, you were actually bringing lots of people to faith. God was using you to bring lots of people to faith. Uh, lots of people who actually worked at the college, you know, cleaners and uh, other people. So there's a Chinese cleaning lady, and uh, she came up to me one day. I'm literally going out for a run, and she said, look, will you tell me all about Jesus? I want to become a Christian. I said, sorry, I'm going for a run. No, I didn't. I said, I, I, said, I, I would love to. And uh, it was a bit of a nightmare because she basically didn't speak English. I didn't speak Chinese. So we went into this lecture theater. We've got this massive board, you know. I'm drawing all these doodles, and I think I've finally explained it. I said, do you still want to come to faith now? She said, I will not. I said, I said why not? She said, because Jesus is still dead. You know, he's died on a cross. How can I have a relationship? And then I realized I hadn't explained about the resurrection. <laughs> so it was like, oh, gosh, that's stupid. Uh, so I explained about the resurrection. And then she came to faith. And she, she joined this Chinese um, Bible study. There was another woman. This her daughter, cleaning lady. Her daughter came to faith. And uh, every time she prayed or mentioned the name of Jesus, her brother would flip out. He'd been very involved in the occult. And it got very sort of quite challenging. And the cleaning lady came to me. And she said, uh, would you just come? Uh, to our house and just, you know, we, we need to speak to you. So I did that and some people came to faith. And so what was interesting, I'm not telling you these stories to make myself look good, I'm telling you these stories because actually this was a problem for the senior leadership of the college at the time. And apparently the senior faculty were saying, um, look, do we stop Mike speaking about his faith or not? Because actually um, it's a bit inappropriate. He's not stopping. There's people, and it's not right. And half the faculty were saying, uh, actually, don't be stupid. We're Christians. This is God's priority. The other half were saying, actually, no. And it got, got really tense, apparently. But do you see that actually as we do this, this pharisaical, pharisaical thing will, will flesh out. And it's so, so tragic. But the Pharisees, they're good people, but they, they just don't get it. They don't get God. They don't get God's priorities. And they don't get who the Messiah is. And, uh, you know, uh, that played out then. It plays out today. 
So basically, what we need to do is just press on as a church, and, and we need to um, keep seeking the lost as the priority. And so I just want to encourage you to bring someone along to Alpha at uh, the end of the month, the 29th. I really would encourage you to do that. You know, there's a great spiritual openness at the moment. And uh, what's fascinating is I'm in about two or three networks of, of national leaders in every denomination, every type of church, quite frankly. And everyone's feeling really, really excited at the moment because there's an openness to hear the message of Jesus Christ. There's a massive openness. Did you know that British uh, atheism has been in decline now for the last three years, two or three percent? Every year, did you know that the British church is growing? It's been growing uh, quite significantly in these last few years. And uh, there's an openness as things, as the moorings of our culture, Brexit, all the stuff that's happening uh, actually uh, unsettles people. There's a great openness to hearing about Jesus. Now, it's not necessarily people aren't flocking to the church. People aren't running around saying, tell me about Jesus. But there's a massive spiritual openness. And, and there's lots of networks of leaders really praying for this. And, uh, you know, now is a good time just to be doing this. And uh, even my experience is, even though the Pharisees or people like the Pharisees might not think it's a good idea to speak about Jesus, actually, uh, people actually love it when you give them that opportunity. Uh, when you uh, say, hey, uh, uh, we've got this uh, evening, this alpha course, come, uh, why not come along? They, they can, the worst thing they could say is no. So I want to encourage you. Uh, to be bold and go for it and just see what happens. Why? Because it's God's priority. And he's not going to guilt you into doing this, legalistically get you to duff you up to do this. He, he, he just says, that it's my priority. Will it be yours? Go into the world and make disciples. Okay, so uh, do come along to that tea, by the way, next Sunday, 4 o'clock. Cake, tea, maybe a coffee, maybe something stronger. Lemonade. And um, basically, um, we can talk about this in more detail. So, okay, how's that? How's that for this story? Did you like that story? Did you get that? Okay, here's the next story. This is the second and last one I want to do. Uh, this is the parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, or search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, it's actually a very, very um, simple story, isn't it? It's a simple story. Uh, a woman's lost a coin, a silver sort of coin. They think that would be a, from a headband, maybe, she was given on her wedding day, or uh, on a necklace. And so it's very, very valuable and very, very hard to find in a first century house that doesn't have electricity. And she'd be sweeping with a brush, probably made of sticks, trying to find her precious silver coin. But she uh, eventually finds it, as you've heard. And um, uh, she looks, she looks, she looks, she looks, she looks. She eventually finds it. And she, again, has this massive rejoicing moment. Uh, and... Um, What's the point of this? Well, if the point of the first story was that finding the lost is God's priority, the point of the second story, the main point, and there's lots of points within it, are that God is going to go to strenuous effort to find the lost. He's going to look, and 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 it's going to be difficult, but he's going to look, and he's going to look, and he's going to look. And you can criticize me, Pharisees. You can misunderstand me, but I'm looking. I'm just going to look. 
just going to look, and you can actually try and set me up. You can ask me trick questions in public, but I'm looking. I'm looking. Because I'm the Messiah, I'm looking. And you can bribe one of my friends to betray me uh, and actually ultimately uh, arrest me. You can beat me up and kill me, but such is my power. I'm going to defeat death, and uh, I'm going to keep looking, and my people are going to keep looking. And we're going to look, and we're going to look, and we're going to look, and we're going to look. And I don't care how much, I don't care uh, what you do, or how hard this is, or how joyful it is, or how strenuous it is. I am going to look, because that's the sort of God I am. I never give up. I always have such a heart for people. And I'm just going to look, and I'm going to look, and I'm going to look. And I'm going to look, not because I've got nothing better to do, but because the lost are precious to me. They're like a silver coin. Really, really valuable to me. And as you know, I'm not just going to look. I'm actually going to lay down my life. I'm actually going to lay down my life for the lost. So, you know, we've got to be people who keep looking. Because it's what God does. It's what the Messiah does. It's what he calls the disciples to do. Uh, and it's, it's what we do in the church, right? We look for people. We look for the lost. And uh, we search and we search and we search and we search. You know, I couldn't find those passports. I just said to Bex and the boys, that it's the last day of the holiday. What do you normally do on the last day of the holiday? What do you do? We were going to go to the beach. I said, you go to the beach, you go ahead. I'm going to find these flipping passports. So I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. And it's, it's stressful. You know, it's stressful because I phoned up this nice lady in the... Uh, Lisbon consulate and said, look, I've lost my pa- family's passports. You know, what can I do? You know, da, da. She said, look, you can't do anything. You, we'll, you'll just have to find them or we have to cancel them and then you can't go anyway and then we reissue you. It'll be 500 quid to get you new passports. It's a bank holiday out here. It's really hot as well, so I'm feeling a bit lethargic. But uh, bas- basically, you're not going to get new passports for four days. So you're going to have to find alternative accommodation. You're going to miss all your flights. You'll have to book new flights. This whole thing will probably end up costing you about 2,000 pounds, probably. Do you see what I mean? But, you know, uh, I was stressed. I was looking, I was looking, I was looking. And we need to be people who keep on looking. I did find them. I did find them having turned this flat upside down. I even was ripping off the cushions off sofas. I actually completely dismantled a sofa. I'd never done that before. I felt sorry for the owners. <laughs> Don't put your thing on that B&B thing. But anyway, so uh, guess where I found them? And the flipping Weetabix box in the kitchen. <laughs> and, and then I remembered we got badly burgled in New Zealand, and uh, the coppers who came in uh, said, look, with your valuables, we always recommend you hide all your valuable stuff in the kitchen. Because when burglars come in, they come in, they go fast, they go straight to your dining room, they go straight up to your bedrooms, and often that's where they look. They don't check the kitchen. And so in my wisdom, <laughs> I decided to hide them in there with the Weetabix. But, you know, that's all I wanted to say tonight. You know, uh, it's God's priority to look. It's God's priority to look because he's God. And, uh, uh, you know, that's his priority. That's Jesus' priority at the end of the day. And uh, he's going to just keep searching and searching and searching and searching and looking and looking and looking 
and looking. And my experience of looking for the lost, I've done quite a lot of that over the years, is that I've come in and out of it. I'll just be really honest, I've had seasons where I just haven't been able to do anything else but do that. You know, when I was a lawyer, I saw lots of people come to faith. When I was at theological college, I saw lots of people come to faith. I've seen in New Zealand, I I saw lots of people come to faith. But at times, I I can just feel distracted. It's not a priority. At times, you just get knackered. Uh, At times, you you feel uh, your your vigor and your verve and your passion has gone. And at times, you even feel, gosh, you know, um, (laughs) is, is this really even worth doing at times? But it's God's priorities, you see. And I want to urge you, wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, just keep the main thing the main thing, which is to look for people who don't yet know Christ and bring them to faith. Amen.